you have a cold open, Megan? We do. <laughs> <clears throat> um, as DMs, have you guys ever had to stop a session to allow real emotions to occur and talk through it? Like legitimately, because like we talk when I mean, we talk about we give people advice on a reg- regular basis to stop and have those conversations at the table. How often do you actually do that? Every time a character dies, like a player yeah. character dies in session, I take a break and tell everybody to get a drink, go to the bathroom. Yeah. You take a minute. Yeah. Because I don't like killing characters. I am not a confrontational DM. So and I have plot lines for these characters like this. This kneecaps me as well. Right. So when the dice are against a, a character and. There is no DM fiat that can happen without it clearly being a Deus Ex Machina. Like, I, I have to just, I have to sit back, let it happen, and say, okay, guys, let's, let's, let's take a drink. Let's, let's walk away. Yeah, makes sense. I haven't. Um, I feel like character death is the most common type of scenario for this to occur in. And I can honestly say that anytime I've killed a player character, it has either been player and i knew it was coming because they wanted to do something else because they weren't having fun with the character or it was a character new enough that nobody was invested in them yet yeah i have murdered several pcs that have only been two to four sessions old and have just gotten absolutely obliterated and so there was really no emotional investment yet i have yet to take down a beloved character in play mm. there's still time i've only ever run into i've the only time i've ever I had a session stop like completely where we had to end it and like close it down was like it didn't even have to do with character death it was because we have a lot of legacy characters in our game and the dm plays the legacy characters and then sometimes the the old players will not agree with what their character is doing <laughs> and and then and it gets contentious like this this has happened quite a few times right to, there was one where i slapped we were playing online during the pandemic and there was one time where i slapped my laptop closed and i was like i'm out like i was just like i was done with the, the results of this situation i don't agree with it blah 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 so even like not even character death like i've we've yeah. had to stop a session because someone got emotional about you know where their characters were going and what they were doing because it didn't agree with it Steve and like wouldn't do that one hundred percent. I'm like these characters are legacy characters. There's like thirty to forty years between when you played it and when this character is now. Like in my mind, it's up to the DM what that character is like now. You know what I mean? So, anyways, but oh, emotions. Uh, no, we had to, we ended sessions with with twice. Megan, the last campaign, once when Terry's character died, we yeah. had to end the session. We ended that session about an hour and a half early because where do we go from here? Yeah, and we had to end the session early as well when uh, when Dan's character's daughter got murdered in front of his eyes. Good times. Yeah, Good times. that one that one got ended early as well, just to let him breathe. He was mad. I gave legendary actions, additional legendary actions, to a vampire who was invisible, who popped out of the blue and fucking murdered her. When Dan's like, "I've done the math, I can get to safety," and the answer was, "No, you can't." <laughs> she die she die <laughs> yeah you you've done the math using only half the data in front of you exactly he was you mad. don't know the other half that only i can see <laughs> he was mad for months over that yeah <laughs> it's a mimic the round table dungeons and dragons discussion where you never know what you're going to get Welcome to another episode and our conversation on the big bad evil guys of Dungeons and Dragons that we like to call Portfolios. I'm Adam and with me today are Megan and Jeff and this episode is called Sorosworn Attachment Issues. 
We've previously covered Beholders, Illithids, Hags, and Elder Elementals, Celestials, High-Powered Constructs, and some of the biggest, nastiest monstrosities from both the Forgotten Realms and other campaign settings. For all of these and more, including a buttload of humanoid mob monsters, a whole pile of fiends, and a ton of giants, you can jump over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other podcast apps, or you can check out our YouTube page and the playlist on monsters that we've built there. This episode of the It's a Mimic podcast looks at a group of unique 5th edition Shadowfell-inspired reimaginings of an old fiend from 3.5 and 4th edition. The incredibly flavorful and outright upsetting Sorosworn are screaming to be used in almost every mid- to high-level campaign and can easily suit Curse of Strahd, Descent into Avernus, Tomb of Annihilation, Out of the Abyss, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, and so many more. So, Let's break down some of the best random encounters to hit your party with when they're at their lowest and dig into the Sorosworn. But before we get started, Megan and Jeff, how are you guys feeling today emotionally? Acceptable. Awful. <laughs> well, we're running the gamut then. I, I feel great. <laughs> we got a nice array of emotions today. So, <laughs> Have you used Sorosworn before? I have. I've used the Wretched a couple of times. I have not used any of the other ones, though. Though I look forward to it. Yeah, I have not at all. So this was a this is a fun read. <laughs> have you ever run into them, Megan? <laughs> Probably, to be honest with you. Like, um, yeah, you've run into about, <laughs> you've run into eighty percent of them. <laughs> I was like, I feel, I feel like that's a trap, Adam. That's a trap. <laughs> Of course you use them. <laughs> well, one of the great things about them is that even if they're a holdover, they're not that well known. And if you don't describe them intentionally to reveal what they are, it'd be very easy to sneak them in places and not have anybody know what it is. Yeah, one of the things that I like to do, because you're right, they're not that well known, but they're they're classic. They've been around for a couple of editions. But I never call any of my creatures by the, the name that they are unless they're very well known. The manticore will swoop out of the sky at you, but I'm not going to say the lost comes out of the woods, right? Right. It's just a creature. And because I don't have the appropriate minis for these guys, I always just use the generic minis that we have that are just placeholder minis. Um, and uh, they're just little gray figurines that are, I think they're technically zombies, but they're just a person with a, with one arm reaching out. Um, and it looks really cool when you've got a, a swarm of them, but they're just our little placeholders on, on the map. Yeah. Um, and so they never know what these guys are called. I'm not joking. They've run into these guys over and over and over. And Dan has just recently figured out what he's up against. <laughs> um, yeah. And so uh, so it's fun. Um, yeah. But that's what I mean. Because I mean, when you're like, have you run into them before, Megan? I'm like, probably. But I yeah. would not be able to tell you when or how or what, <laughs> unless it was specifically named. <laughs> So they've got a bit of a complicated history in previous editions, and I'm not going to spend too much time on it because they've been radically changed in every edition. Um, they popped up in third edition, um, and they were known as the uh, Tanari demons. Um, these were kind of the upper echelon. Do you guys remember the Satanic Panic? Were you aware of it, what was going on? I was vaguely aware of it, but I'm vaguely, yeah. vaguely aware, but was not involved. Yeah. So they weren't allowed to talk about devils and demons in D&D anymore because then the the Bible thumpers uh, that were on a crusade against uh, D&D and fantasy would come, you know, scream into their doors. So they changed the name um, to uh, Tanari. I'm trying to remember what the other one was called. Demons were the Tanari. When it got uh, 
ported over into into third edition. Um, Tanari were just used as a like the upper echelon of demons, um, and it's going to bother me that I can't remember what the what the devil version was. Um, but this is why they're classified as general fiends now, and we can say devils and demons, but we mostly say fiends just because that's a that's still an old holdover. Um, the idea was that these were demons from the uh, abyss. They were smart, but they preyed on the feelings of uh, loss and grief more than anything else. So they would pop up when your party was at an emotional low. They resembled kind of skeletal uh, undead demons, um, but in later editions, they were, um, or in fourth edition, they were then said to have uh, become manifestations of the Shadowfell themselves and like almost shadowy dark figures that looked like devils, but weren't. That would come to you when you were feeling at their emotional low, right? So they were known as soul rippers. They were stealthy assassins. They were reapers. They were slayers. They were death lords. They had all sorts of different names like in world colloquially, but these sorrow sworn, which were originally demons, I believe they had the ability to fly because they all had wings. And they um the art is really creepy and kind of like um like raw rough sketches uh and and blurred lines and whatnot because they attacked from the darkness. They were ambush creatures that would uh wait until you were alone and upset and then murder the shit out of you. It's very macabre. <laughs> very like I really like them. The, these are these are like boogeymen, right? So very thematic, very flavorful. And they didn't pop up in the 5th edition Monster Manual or Volos, which was too bad. I was a little sad. I missed them in Volos. And then they showed up in uh, Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, and they've been reprinted in Monsters of the Multiverse. There And there hasn't been a whole lot of uh, mechanical changes between them. So of all of the updates that have happened, these ones have stayed fairly consistent. Um, the big difference being... Uh, there's one mechanical difference on one of the five of them. So the source one is, has now been split up into five separate, I don't want to say necessarily emotions, but feelings. They, it is, they're attached to emotion, but one of them is called the hungry, and that's not really an emotion, that is just like a, a, a feeling. So um, like I say, there's one mechanical difference, and I'll touch on it when it comes by, um, but for the most part, they are attached to um to to very very negative feelings these are still creatures from the shadowfell and they seem to be almost incarnations of the shadowfell itself um that are born from it the way that uh, demons are born from the abyss the other thing i, I should point out even though one of them is uh, cr one quarter which is the wretched they're all incredibly difficult to fight because the wretched never comes with just one you run into swarms of these things, packs of them that, that come So much you. fun. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> For the um, DM, not... <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. To be clear. <laughs> these things are scary if you use them correctly as a player. Yeah. <laughs> and they're I, little itty-bitty things. I have, I have really kept these guys in my back pocket for when my players feel terrible. Um, like, shit has happened, we have fucked up, this is bad, what do we do next? And then one of these guys will come out of the woodwork, and it's uh, it's been a lot of fun to to do that. So we've got um, 
we've got the five. There's the wretched, the lost, the lonely, the hungry, and the angry is how they were presented in Tome of Foes. And now they're wretched, wretched sorrow swarm, lost sorrow swarm, lonely sorrow swarm, and so on and so forth. Um, through hungry and angry as well uh, in Monsters of the Multiverse, just to kind of I guess keep them more on like on brand together. Well, this I'm just thinking of this now as I'm looking at it. I have the uh, D and D Beyond Encounter Builder up on my monitor. It occurs to me that this may be a deliberate change, specifically because of the future push towards a more digital bent to D and D. Because it's easier to find them all if you just type in Sorosworn, if the name is in all of the descriptions, than if you then have to remember the name of all five of them to find them. So this clumps them together in a searchable encounter builder in a way that it wouldn't have been before. There is another interesting piece of lore here that's uh, that's worth mentioning. And it's for anybody that uses online tools that are not D&D Beyond, uh, you dirty pirates. Um, there are... There's a lot of information out there that claims that these guys are lawful evil, and it feels like they could be. Um, however, they are very clearly neutral evil in the uh, in Tome of Foes, and then that gets changed to typically neutral evil in uh, Monsters of the Multiverse. Um, the idea that they come from the Abyss means that they almost have a chaotic bend of destruction to them, um, but now, like their origins were from the Abyss, now they're clearly from the Shadowfell. And they are just there um, to personify distress and despair. They get physical form essentially, and they come. They come at you in a deadly form of writhing naked flesh and claws and teeth. Megan's um, favorite. Yes, uh, and most of them uh, like to grab onto you and uh, and make you not able to escape their clutches. Also, Megan's favorite. I yeah, like yeah. that. I like yes, yeah. <laughs> Megan's birthday, our D <laughs> group all got together and bought her a fucking grappling hook because we thought it was funny because Megan hates to grapple. <laughs> we got her a legit <laughs> grappling hook, and we were all intimidated by the weighty sharpness of this. I mean, yeah. I won't so get into the the blind spot in rhetoric that goes on where, where it regards Megan in this podcast. <laughs> it's now on display. And so now it's up to people whether to find out if it's a kink or just an item. Well, <laughs> why can't it be both? We, we spend several years discussing how you don't piss off the Megan and then you give her a device that allows her to pull you back in when she's mad at you, you fools. You could murder someone with this oh, yeah. grappling hook. This grappling hook is a... It, it is a chrome like weapon it is amazing i love it yeah um although i'm this is why it's why we're recording from a distance because now i'm scared of megan um anyway on to on on to the sorrow sworn so let's uh let's jump right into the first one which is the wretched or the wretched sorrow sworn depending on your um your source material here the wretched are these horrible little monsters. Did you have you guys seen? This is going to be a deep dive. You guys ever seen Tremors two? If it's I called, have, I have forgotten it. Absolutely, I have. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Tremors two aftershocks. Fuck, they're good at naming shit. So um, the idea there is that uh, the first one is these these big old worms, and the second one they hatch babies that are little two legs that run around. They're bulbous little flesh sacks with mouths that run around and eat people and they're kind of gross that's what the wretched are only they have almost like lamprey like mouths like there's rows and rows of teeth in these 
bulbous, gross little black eyes on either side of their head. Like it, concentric rings of teeth and like a sucker mouth. Yeah. Um, and they're there clearly to only feed. Their bodies are these round, pale masses of flesh with two thick legs at the bottom of them. There's no arms. There's there's not even a, a tail. Like this is it. They are mouths, like what look like nearly blind eyes, and two very thick legs on this this sphere of writhing flesh that is a uh, um, Megan has muted herself, but the look of disgust on her face is just amazing. Um, <laughs> and these are the times where I wish this was a visual like platform because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I make a lot of weird faces. <laughs> you, you wait until we do a spiders episode, Megan, we'll get you on that one and we'll, we'll stream it live. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the wretched are the CR one quarter. Um, they've got everything that you would expect for a creature from the Shadowfell. Um, I'm going to go with the uh, Monsters of the Multiverse stat block because I think it's going to be the most relevant moving forward uh, for anybody listening to this in the future. But we've got, I'm just going to blow through this quickly because I don't want to do a big mechanical deep dive. You guys should know how to run these fairly generic monsters, except for their theme. And they're essentially one really cool move that they do. So uh, they've got a decent AC of 15, which is huge at uh, CR one quarter, and uh, but they have almost like no hit points. They're nearly one hit kills. The fucking thing is they're fast. They move 40 feet around. They're not particularly strong. They do have resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage, but only while in dim light or darkness, and that's true of all of the Sorosworn, which means these guys hunt at night exclusively yeah they're not going to show up in the middle of the day yeah not just that they prefer it that they only come out in the dark yes um i uh i will often use these guys as uh uh, i'll give them sunlight sensitivity as well if they're ever around in the day because it lets me kind of showcase them a couple levels earlier and then they get they get killed easier but um they don't speak a language they have dark vision so clearly they're they're night hunters What's important here is that they have pack tactics, which means that as long as they're beside an ally that uh, isn't incapacitated, they get advantage on their attacks, right? So although, otherwise, though, they have disadvantage on attack rolls. Yeah, which they is, either have advantage or disadvantage. There's no... Yes, and we're going to see that again in one of the later ones as well. Like, it's very clearly to be used in a very specific situation, right? What These guys are pack hunters. They move together. Um, their bite does 1d10 plus 1 piercing damage, uh, which is absolutely insane for CR 1 quarter. But at the start of each of the Soros Horns turns, the target that they bit takes 1d10 plus 1 necrotic damage uh, on consecutive turns because they get attached. When they bite, they latch the fuck on. This is an auto grapple, essentially. And they just sit there and suck the life out of you. Um I hate when that happens. When the target moves, the Sorosworn go with it, um, and it doesn't take any of the Sorosworn's movement. They just, I feel like their little legs just go limp, and they just get dragged around because yep. yeah. they're busy sucking like like ticks almost. These are, these oh, are yeah. my new ticks. Leeches. Now, they get really <laughs> scary when you realize that you're not just having one of, like, you are walking around with four or five of these things stuck to you, hmm. dealing necrotic damage every turn as they just hang on and suck you dry. And these guys, um, like you can use an action to detach one of them, or you can use your action to try to kill them. 
they on average have 46 minus four hit points, which works out to be roughly 10. Um, if you've got a DM like Adam that uh, likes to use max hit points, that means they've got 20, which means even in second tier, it may take a couple of hits to knock these guys off. We just had our Barbarian two sessions ago um, uh, run into a swarm of these things, and they took on two waves of four of them. And he was a fucking mess. He was level four. And uh, the cleric and bard were just full-time healing him uh, as he and the rogue were just trying to knock these things down. And it was a rough battle. Um, I was not God, there. No, yeah. <laughs> Megan the monk was not was not present. That would have made this go a lot easier. But this, this is one of the few times when you kind of hope that the wizard will drop a fireball on top of you. Yeah. To just yeah. kill all of the wretched and leave you slightly singed in the middle. It's uh, it's pretty gnarly what these guys can do, but they are the wretched. They scour the Shadowfell for prey. They are, it says right in, in the um, breakdown that they're pitiful. And I love it whenever they say this. We really only ever see this again for the uh, the manes and the... Um, the Mayonnaise? No, manes. Mayonnaise. <laughs> Ew. And, uh, <laughs> Well, they are pale as fuck, so like maybe, <laughs> um, and uh, the the lemures as well, which are the low level devils and demons, right? So they're just known to be pitiful, horrible little creatures. But these guys are hunting; they're scouring the Shadowfell. Anything that has a life force, they will try to bite and eat. Which, in my head, means that they will devour plants and uh, algae, and they will attack oozes, like anything that lives they will try to drink the life energy from them um, and specifically anything that is afraid that's right in the lore. Mm -hmm. So whoever is the most terrified is the one that's going to get attacked. What that means is that they will bypass the barbarian to hit the NPC if they have the opportunity. Mm -hmm. So how do you guys feel about these? Let's roll dice. Yeah. 16. Uh, eight. Eight. Jeff, you're up first. Wretched. I love them. I they're they're one of a few monsters in fifth edition that I love to just keep in my back pocket and pull out when I feel so inclined. Um, personally, I like to wait to use them until I can put like three or four times as many of these as I have player characters on the map and just swarm them. Um, I think they're a lot of fun, um, particularly if you're deft at manipulating your group, such as making one of them visible and playing it up to be really cute, like ugly cute, like a pug. Like it's just so ugly and pitiful and looks helpless. So they walk up to it and then 12 more of them round the corner and all of them dogpile on one of the player characters. I love them. It's great. I, I, I fucking love the Wretched. The Wretched pop up every so often, probably once per tier in my campaigns. Megan has fought these guys about four times. Yeah. Uh, but I never give more than about six at a time, even at high levels, because they're really there just to be... Um, see, I have a player that hates Sturges, and these guys are a great <laughs> answer to Sturges uh, that are not Sturges. And it's funny to see the difference. These guys uh, run up, and they're always slathering and... Right? And gnashing their teeth. And they get up, and they attach... And my players are like, fuck, what is this? And then they get angry and they kill them and it's easy and they move on. But the moment it's buzzing Sturges, they get pissed. Yeah. They cannot handle it because it's it's mosquitoes. The fact that these things are like ticks or leeches instead 
Uh, fun flavor, good difference, but a lot of the same mechanics, right? Yeah. It really makes me want to use them both in the same encounter. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> Just for maximum irritation. Torture. <laughs> the, Just the, torture. The swarm of Sturges hovering above the swarm of, of wretched sorrow swarm. And they're both trying to feed on each other, but they know that if they get close, they'll get eaten. So they're just like, there's a, there's a cold war standoff between them and the party Ooh. walks up. Ooh. Uh, all heads turn. Yeah. I had the thought you, you have your group try to cross a really narrow bridge. And if they're quiet, they'll avoid the attention of the Sturges. And if they try to move too fast, they'll fall off the bridge to where all the wretched are below them. So you've got it from both directions. Move slow, move quiet. Nobody fail your skill checks. It's going to be a uh, bad time. Fuck you, barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to dwell too much on the combat tactics of these guys. Um, uh, just because of the, um, like, the it's pack tactics. There's yeah. nothing pretty special here. Megan, do you like these guys? I, well, I mean, yeah. They're like um, a bit of a different thing to throw at your players. That's not like your classic random encounter of like kobolds, shall we say, or like goblins or just like you're in the forest and these things appear because they do have a little bit more flavor context that would be personalized to the players themselves because they would have to appear for a reason. Right. So I think it's a bit of a something different to throw at your players. That's not the commonality. So that's why I like them. I think they're a little bit fun, even though they're just leeches of life. <laughs> My favorite thing about them is the fact that they uh, they hunt people that are afraid. Yeah. You ever DM where you're or you play D&D where the players are at a, at a loss or at a dilemma. There's no good answer. Which way do we go? And they sit there and they talk <laughs> for like 45 minutes to come up with a plan. As the as the characters are sitting there during their short rest trying to figure out what do we do? And there's no good answer. And they're arguing with each other. And clearly they're afraid of both options out of the shadows manifests one of these things mm -hmm. or it, like if yeah like just fucking frightening though <laughs> this is gonna put the fear in, into people and then like if they keep <clears throat> doing it out of the shadow manifests two of them right and now you've got your players like turning on all the the lanterns and like like lighting every torch to kill the shadows which means that they are fucking scared yeah which should, in theory, draw more. Do not hesitate. If you need to push your, your players forward, the Wretched are a great option. This is how to make Megan not be bored when we're having conversations about where to go. <laughs> <laughs> you get What you do is you give Met, uh, Megan a button under the table so that when she's bored, it flashes a light on the back of the DM screen. It's yeah. like, hey, can you do something to make this push go? This along? <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. So I don't murder the person beside me. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. No, I like the idea of like, um, because they feed off of fear and they appear for fear. Like I like playing into the fact of the non-obvious fear. So I feel like these ones are, you can bring them in if you have a character that has a backstory that would cause them to be afraid. Like, let's mm. say that they're afraid to go into a town because they're afraid they're going to run into someone that they know or what have you. But you with the DM are the only one that knows that part of their backstory because of whatever reason. It's a good way to bring those backstories out because if these appear and they go specifically for that one person, it's almost like it would cause a dialogue afterwards being like, if someone knows what these are, they'd be like, I'm sorry, are you okay? Like doing check-ins with like, it's, it's a way to bring that backstory out, right? I think that's how I would want to use them. The other thing that I like about them is that as wretched creatures, 
it does say, you know, it's about life, energy, and fear, but the sort of sworn paragraph at the beginning says it's all about um, despair and distress. If you've got a character that is grieving, the wretched could show up. If you have oh, yeah. a character that is is um, feeling pitiful or beating themselves up for not uh, the paladin that broke their oath, right? The monk that had to go against how they were raised in the monastery, the wretched can show up and harry them until they move past this this character beat, right? Um, I really like using and because it's it's CR one quarter and you tend to hit these plot points in like tier two. These guys are a problem, but they're not not a real like party kill issue. Mm. But the last thing I want to say before we cut to a commercial break is when do your party feel the most wretched and afraid? It has to be when someone is making death saves. Yeah. So can you imagine the fight is going poorly? Both sides have taken losses. <laughs> the ranger drops and suddenly four of these guys pop up. One for every other party member. Thanks, Adam. I hate it. You have to be <laughs> as much as the DM and me loves this because it is just inflicting anguish upon your players. You have to be careful when you do that. If thing, if you're only doing that when things are already going poorly, <laughs> that could tip the scales hard against you. I I would only only ever do this if I'm like in tier three. So these CR one quarter creatures are not a major issue, right? Um, and they're not going to attack the person that's down because the person that's down is not afraid and their right. life energy is draining. Yeah. If you are in a battle against goblins or kobolds or villagers or like guards or whatever, and these guys come out of the woodwork, who's the most frightened? The paladin and the cleric and the fighter and the rogue and the wizard or the kobolds or the 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 town guards or the, the cultists that we're not expecting to see these monsters come out of like... These guys are going to show up and murder the others first and then come for your party. But like the worst part is, is the person in your party that would probably be the most afraid in one of those situations is your healer because they will see their friends go down and they're the only one that can heal that person. Right. Like that's a lot of pressure as a human, let alone as a player. And like, so that's the person to be the most panicked. They're probably the furthest off in the battlefield. They get swarmed by these things. Yeah, it is. They've also taken, they've also taken the least amount of damage if they're that far back and they're like, trying to get forward to cast the healing spell. So the idea is I have three of these things attached to me and I'm losing three D10 plus three every fucking round. I can heal myself or heal my fallen comrade and get them out of death saves. So like you spend your last action, you know, your your turn healing your, your friend, he pops back up with, you know, 1D8 plus whatever, um, you know, off the cure wounds. Uh, he pops back up with a handful of hit points. They look over and the cleric is face down getting eaten. And remember, on the next turn, that's attacks, right? They're going to finish eating and move on to the next one, right? Yeah. This is this is a lot of fun. Uh, but again, I, I'm going to pull that maneuver out for tier three. Yeah, yeah, that requires a little bit of delicacy and forethought. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also understanding the tide of battle as well. Yeah. This is just a quick reminder that if you like what you hear on this podcast, you can send us donations at our website, www.itsamimic.com, or you can head over to the store to buy some fancy merch. If, however, you would like to support us in non-financial ways, one of the biggest helps that we get is spreading the news across social media platforms. None of us are very good at marketing, and most of us don't even understand how social media works. 
but a lot of you do. So if you could reach out to other communities that we may not be a part of, whether it's Discord servers or other subreddits, uh, I hear that TikTok is a thing now. Whatever it is that you can do, please spread the word as much as you can. If there's an audience out there that likes D&D and likes to hear people ramble about it um, and get insights and inspirations that they might not otherwise get, then this is a podcast that they may want to hear about. Also, if they like dick jokes. Anyway, let's jump back to the episode. Okay, so uh, in my own personal campaign, my uh, entire level one to level four party has been wandering around lost in a desert for a while and they have run into a couple of these guys and uh every time that they run into the lost sorosworn uh they always hear a voice calling out from somewhere in the desert first going hello you son of a bitch is, is there anybody there <laughs> megan megan just had a moment of realization whenever and like other npcs will do that when they're lost as well so like because there are just people lost in the desert just portals open all over the place and people are coming through they don't know where they are so there's always something like hello can someone help and every once in a while it's one of these motherfuckers i didn't even put that together until like this moment like right now (laughs) (laughs) oh my god (laughs) this i will restate for this episode if this were a visual medium, Megan's face right then was just <laughs> <laughs> wide eyes, mouth agape, and just just mad. <laughs> you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, so the lost are um, when you're in the Shadowfell. Yes, there are the mists between the the different pocket dimensions in the Ravenloft book, um, and that and that surround Barovia as well. But the Shadowfell is largely just a vast landscape of of sorrow edge yeah it's it's all i I think about um frodo and sam hidden to mount doom and like the last the last movies worth of of trudging through the the muck and the the rocky crags and there's there's no hope there's nothing here you're not going to be able to find anything to eat you're not going to be able to uh really find your way through a clear path and the Shadowfell does everything in its power like on purpose with a will to make people get lost um it is a twisted landscape of not just horror but like barren negativity the lost are the representations of that and they are all about the anxiety and the fear that people feel when they are lost when they can't find their way through and uh these sorosworn appear as desperate and almost panicked which is why i love to have them calling out hello is there anyone there and then come running out of the darkness towards you. They uh, they try to embrace any creatures that they can reach. They have a mechanic for it as well because they feel better when they're in contact. They've got it's a great a, grapple. Megan's worst enemy. It, 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 to be fair, it was the worst because like I was the monk <laughs> and the rogue and we would hear them calling for help and the monk and the rogue would run off in the distance faster than everybody else to go and all see if they the, can get to the helm faster. We learned our lesson the first time. <laughs> all they want is a hug, Megan. They just that want one. a hug. So, I think the, the first one definitely hugged me, from if I remember correctly. I don't you know. Oh, yes, yes. You have been grappled by a couple of these guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, physically speaking, they look like they have, um, like they've got the pale soulless eyes. Again, all of these creatures are naked and fleshy, but they don't just have two arms. In the artwork, they have five, and every one of the arms ends in like a spider pincher, like like a spider leg, right? Um, because they're all about just wrapping you up and pulling you in close. 
And it says in the lore, the harder you try to escape, the more upsetting this becomes. And the more upsetting it becomes, the the tighter they grab on, the more damage they do. And they actually have mechanics to reflect this. So uh, the mechanics really quickly are, again, AC of 15. Now, these guys are a CR 7, which means you're probably going to be able to hit them. I love throwing them at a level 5 party because these guys will hold on. And once they hold on, they don't really attack anybody else. They just knock one person down at a time. I'll, I'll get into to my methods here in a second. But okay, AC 15. They have a decent amount of hit points, an average of 78. Um, they always have a, a movement speed of 30 feet. So for me, they're always dashing up um, out of the darkness because that's not enough to get past somebody's dark vision. The average character has 60 feet of dark vision. Um, again, the same resistances. They do have a plus six in athletics, which I think is hilarious because that means that they're going to climb and jump really well. Cool. I like these guys coming out of like deep, dark pits. Can you imagine one of these things crawling out of the well in Moria? You, uh, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, uh, they've got the resistance to the bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing well in dim light or darkness. These ones do speak common, which is lovely, and it's why I like I like it when they get to talk. They get a multi-attack with two arm spikes, which is essentially a plus six to hit. They're, they have a 10-foot reach, which is a little nasty, and a 2d10 plus three piercing damage. But I think that, honestly, they would rather use their uh, embrace attack, which is a, a recharge on a four to six, so they can do this about half of the time. Um, they will reach out to one character that's within five feet of them. If they do 4d10 plus three piercing damage, and then that person is grappled. The escape DC is only 14, and uh, they can only grapple a medium or smaller creature. But until the grapple ends, the target is frightened. And it takes 6d8 psychic damage at the end of each of its turns because it's frightened. Now, they can only grapple one person at a time, but here's the really shitty thing. If the Sorosworn takes damage, it can use its reaction to do an additional 4d8 psychic damage to the creature that it is holding on to because it's lost. And I have represented this as uh, in my own games as these guys come screaming out of the darkness. Hello, is anyone there? And one or two people will go investigate because, of course, they're on watch and it's dark out. Well, no, I won't wake the others until I know what it, what's happening. And so Megan usually... <laughs> We'll, <laughs> we'll uh we'll go usually with the rogue too so we'll have we'll have uh our monk and rogue uh go investigate and when this happens um this thing will will come out of darkness it has poor passive perception it it's only passive perception of eight which means it doesn't necessarily know you're there until you make yourself known and then it is going to lunge forward as quickly as possible and grab on and just whisper we're together now. It's okay. It's fine. And every time that some that it gets hit, every time it gets hit, it's just, oh God, oh God. And I'm out here all by myself. We're out here by ourselves together. And like it's it's bad. And I'm whispering psychic, like psychically um damaging nonsense to the players all of the time. And and they don't like it. No. It's it's really creepy. Um let's let's roll dice. I want to get your opinion. All right, Megan, <laughs> you're first. How, how do you like the Lost? I loved them until I learned that that is what that was, that I had to deal with that for like three or four sessions. <laughs> Phenomenal. Thank you. However, I've now learned that if you now, from now on, instead of saying, Megan, you're grappled, you say, Megan, you're being embraced. 
I will be, <laughs> I will be, <laughs> I will be happier about it. I don't know. I was like, that sounds very nice. Like, <laughs> um, but no, I, I do from a, from a flavor standpoint, I really like these ones because it gives the grapple a purpose. They're not just doing it because they can do it or, you know, using the mechanic because the mechanic exists. It is their purpose to hold on to you and cause you more damage so you cannot escape. Like, and like, I, I, I enjoy it again because it has a purpose. If it didn't have a purpose, I'd be like, fuck you with your grapple. But because there's a purpose, I enjoy it a lot. I, I think they're really cool. Jeff? I have two thoughts. I like them a lot. They, they, it's super fun, super flavorful. My first thought was if you're playing with any homebrew sanity rules, this is one you should be fucking with. Yeah. Uh, sanity checks when you get hit with the psychic damage. Um, my next thought, because I'm running Strahd in two campaigns, which is in the Shadowfell, and Adam and I had already discussed potentially ways you could use the Sarasworn and Barovia anyway, uh if you have uh an antagonist somewhere in the shadow fell that is a high level spellcaster cast seeming on one of these things <laughs> make it look like a beloved npc that's lost <gasps> whispering in your ear about how i'm so glad you found me i thought i would die here alone hugging your player character to death and it looks just like someone that you know dan's daughter <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you could get real devious with this if you have a little bit of time to think about it in advance. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, I love these guys. I love them intensely because one of the things that's so devious about them is the fact that they have this embrace. Um, so you can only grapple this one creature at a time. And I, I tend to go to the person that is lost. That's why I like to use them when someone's on watch because when you go out there, you're looking around, you don't know what you're looking for. You're not quite sure where you're going. You heard a voice calling out in the darkness, right? So it's going to latch on to this person. Um, but once they're down, once they're embraced and you can't embrace anybody else, you can still attack on your next turn with these arm spikes. And so I just want you to picture there's one person, they, they've grappled the halfling and they are holding the halfling, whispering in their ear the whole time, don't leave me. So we will we'll be able to to find our way. We just need to stick together. And they're holding on. Meanwhile, everyone else is trying to hit it. And every time it does, the halfling is screaming in pain. Stop hitting it. Stop hitting it. As these arm spikes are lashing out and beating against everyone else. Or coming in and hitting that halfling or, or whoever it has embraced with advantage because they're grappled. Ugh. I also have been waiting for the opportunity. I love to use these guys but I've never used them to drop someone to zero hit points. We've never quite gotten there. It's been close a couple of times, but I'm desperate to do it because I really want the moment, and Megan, wait for it. I really want the moment of when the person drops to zero hit points, the last thing they hear is, where are you going? <laughs> um, <laughs> one thing I just noticed that I didn't think about before, even though I think part of the reason the escape DC is only 14 on these Let's not forget that the frightened grappled creature has disadvantage on its escape checks because it's frightened too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is vicious. Love it. Um, are there any other insights uh, that you have about one of these guys? My, my big thing, I'm going to say, because you guys both hesitated. Uh, my big thing is that this is a properly designed <laughs> monster and all of the Soros Horn are. The actual mechanics here reflect the creature's theme. Yeah. Their their theme and the mechanics clearly point you in a single direction 
on strategy and tactics. Embrace with purpose. (laughs) Yeah. If if you know how to read a stat block properly, you know how to play one of these guys. If you're looking to use these guys a little bit differently than the example that we've given of, you know, bringing them into a campsite at night, you could also make really good use of these guys in a labyrinth, um, in terrain that is very difficult to find your way. Um, Obviously, you still have to pay attention to light and dark because of their resistances, but if you put your players in a maze where there could be one or two of these things lurking around a corner when the group gets strung out and fragmented and somebody's hanging behind and just grab and pull out of sight and whisper them to death. Uh, yeah, honestly, for the campaign, the published campaigns, the three that stick out in my mind is being perfect. Curse of Strahd and Venric and the side. The three campaigns that I think are perfect for these guys are Tomb of Annihilation as you're wandering through the jungles of Chult. Oh, yeah. There are lost mechanics. Um, Icewind Dale, because you're wandering through the frozen tundra and these guys coming out of a blizzard would be amazing. Also, they're like naked and and skinny, like like bone, like, like heroin addict skinny, right? Like it is, and they're coming out of the darkness, not wearing clothes, begging for help. Your players will try to run up to them to help before they realize what the, what they're getting into, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one is Dungeon of the Mad Mage because it's easy to get turned around in there. And you're not quite sure where to go next. I get down to the next level. Where's the exit? Who fucking knows? Do we go right or left? Right. And that whole thing is a bit of a maze. So, yeah, I would love these things to be sprinkled the outside of like a wizard's tower. Like, and that's how they lure people towards the tower to their death or like away from. It's like a a protective tool used Um, because to your point, characters are going to wander towards them if they're playing on the good side of things. Right. So, yeah. Oh, the other thing to point out is that Minotaurs have, uh, like, if you've got a Minotaur character, player character, um, Minotaurs have it built in that they always know what direction they're heading. Mm. I would never have one of these guys attack the Minotaur. Even if they manage to kill the rest of the party, they will walk away from the Minotaur. It could almost be fun to even treat it as if the Lost can't even see that the Minotaur is there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just completely oblivious uh, to their existence. That's really cool. Because it would take your team a very long time to figure out why the Minotaur is not being attacked or but grapple it that. Al- or... It would also be a good way to clue your group into why they keep showing up. You're dropping yeah. hints as to the nature of the creature. Yeah. The next one on the list is tied thematically very close to the Lost. And this one is the Lonely. And the Lonely might have the most, of all of them, it has the most upsetting art for me. Um, because its limbs all end in what look like bone spikes. Um, and it that's its legs too, but it also seems to be walking upright on them, which makes me feel like it teeters um unnaturally on its on its bone spike legs. So it's it has the shape of essentially kind of a, an overweight man that's hunched over, uh, that's peering out of eyes that seem to be bleeding black tears out of them. Um, and and constantly searching and looking like the the body language is that uh, this is someone that is searching. We finally get a passive perception of ten. The other two had a passive perception of eight. Um, so this one is actively looking for people. It's called the lonely because it is. Uh, this is another one that I have used against my players, um, and m- not for a while. I don't think, but Megan may recognize this. This is all about isolation and uh, that you feel in the shadow fell um, when. You need companionship and you're desperate for it. One of these guys will show up 
And this I like is that you, kind of companionship. Are you talking about Megan as in Megan, or are you talking about Megan as a player? Because like I'm feeling personally attacked right now for my isolation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I meant the character, but we're learning things today. Um, Very there. <laughs> <laughs> um, these guys uh, are of all of them. I think that they're the most innocent. They're not there to hurt you. They just don't want to be lonely anymore. And I've done that as well, where um, they've called out from the darkness. And it, it, again, has started with, hello. Hello, is someone out there? Can, can you help, please? But my thing is, with these guys, I always give them a child's voice, because it's creepier. Yeah. Um, to jump into their um, basic mechanics. Oh, sorry. The other thing you should know is uh, its arms can essentially, they don't quite detach, but they can shoot out, still being held to their body by long, fleshy strings. Uh, and these are known as their harpoon arms as they uh, they spike through people and then drag them in towards them for a closer grapple because we just don't want to be lonely anymore. Uh, armor class is 16, so it's gone up, which is good because it's a challenge rating 9. Uh, 112 hit points, which means you're going to be fighting these guys for a couple of rounds. Um, and again, 30 foot movement speed, but I feel like that is okay because it's got some fucking reach. The same uh, resistances, of course, all of the stats are going up to properly reflect the fact that it's a CR9. Um, and uh, same dark vision of 60 feet as well. They've got a few interesting things about them, though. One of them is a psychic leech. At the start of each of its turns, any creature within five feet of it um, has to make a DC 15 wisdom save or take 3D6 psychic damage. And you guys ever been at the party with the one person that is just a fucking energy vampire? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was about to say, this is a good punishment tool for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, sh I shall name it Colin Robinson. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, these guys thrive on company, which means the lonely has advantage on attack rolls while it's within 30 feet of at least two other creatures. Otherwise, it has disadvantage on attack rolls, which means this is going to be a creature that is going to be scary when the one person goes out to, in the middle of the night to go check on what that noise was. Who is this small young girl calling out for help? Sounds like a toddler in the middle of the night. And then it's this big fucking bone-limbed, overweight, naked man standing there in the darkness coming at you and like shooting its arms at you you're going to retreat and it's going to miss and miss and miss until you get back to your friends and wake them up then it's going to start to hit because hey i found friends and i do like the idea of it going friends friends the whole time in a child's voice um yeah. uh there's also a multi-attack for these guys one harpoon arm attack and one sorrowful embrace so the harpoon arm is a plus seven to hit it's got a reach of 60 feet, which means that um, these arms are going to be coming out of the darkness from beyond the torches sometimes, which is phenomenal for your humans. Um, uh, they do 48 plus three piercing damage, uh, and it's got a, a grapple with a DC 15 escape. Um, it only has two, ar uh, two harpoon arms, uh, so it can only grapple two creatures at once, and the creatures have to be large or smaller. And then Sorrowful Embrace is when it has a creature that's grappled that uh, must make a DC 15 wisdom saving throw, or they take 48 psychic damage on a failed save, half as much on a successful one. Um, but in either case, it pulls the creature up to 30 feet straight towards it. So it doesn't matter if you succeed or fail, you're getting pulled in. 
That is correct. That's crazy. I fucking love it. Uh, so let's roll initiative. I want, I want to hear what you guys have to say about these guys. Four. 20. That one. Mm. All right, Megan. I love it. Um, I think these ones are a lot of fun because I feel like even if you are a character with dark vision in the middle of the night and you're on watch, as soon as you see them is when you are in range to be grabbed. So, oh, yeah. so as soon as like you step into that, you're like, what's that? And it also just his arms come out of the darkness, grab you, pull you in. And then to our points earlier about how these are great like encounters to utilize when someone's on watch by themselves, like perfection in my mind, because yep. you're going like, as soon as you lock eyes with it, it's like friend. And then it, <clears throat> it grabs you, pulls you in. And then like, you're going to scream, but then everybody else like wakes up and you are out in the distance and not by choice this time, as opposed to with the, lost you're walking towards it because you want to save it this one it's pulling you into it so it's not by choice that you are a distance away now so that that panic will ensue and i think that that is just such a great vision but jeff you're next with a four i got a one. Oh damn i just didn't even hear yours i just assumed i was at the bottom um <laughs> i just had a thought that is fun so is it the fact what... that you assume that you're a bottom I was going to say something, but I'm like, it's too obvious if I say it. <laughs> I got to leave something. Anyway, uh, I just had the thought that it could be interesting if your group has been dealing with some random various bullshit in the shadow fell for a while and they stumble across a lost and a lonely fighting each other Ooh. who then turn to the group or potentially having a lost on one side of the group and the lonely on the other, trying to pull different members in different directions. Interesting. I like I, that. I do think that the, these are the two that work together. And I like the idea of, of them being about 100 feet apart in the darkness, maybe yeah. 150, and one going, hello? And it's like, are, are you out there? Like, I don't know where <laughs> I am. I just, yeah. I, I think I need, I need, I need an adult and like back and forth, back and forth. Who do you go to help? It's a trap either way, motherfuckers. Yeah. And I like the idea that they're not working together. They just happen to both stumble upon your lost and lonely group at the same time. You could even have them attack each other if it comes down to it. They're both vying for attention of a different sort and not because they're working together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, <laughs> that's interesting. I also like having, um a, a lost see the lonely i think are solitary but uh yeah. i think the lost could could move in packs right if you have five player characters each one of them is getting frustrated with the fact that they're lost in the middle of chult five lost sora sworn could come out of the could come out of the jungle mm -hmm. also this brings me to the point of um once you run into one of these guys if you are feeling lonely and you run into one of these guys do you still want to meet people no absolutely not traumatized so, so <laughs> this guy won't manifest again once you run into him once it's going to be a while before he manifests again i don't think the same is true for the others you're still lost you're still feeling wretched right whether it's fear or depression or whatever it is um and the other one's hungry and angry like just because you fight one of these things doesn't make you less angry or less hungry but when you fight one of the lonely i feel like these are they're a one and done at least for a few sessions right mm -hmm. what's interesting about here is the multi-attack um it says that it can make uh one harpoon attack and then it can use its sorrowful embrace um you'll notice it can't make two harpoon arm attacks yep so it's going to try to hit on, on the first round if it misses that's all it does it just shoots one of these these spikes with the fleshy rope out into the darkness 
Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that rope clearly bleeds black, right? Like it is a part of the body that it is shooting out. And based on the art, like it looks like this the skin, it is forcefully like injecting this piece of its body forward and ripping its limb apart to do it. There's uh, so much innuendo in this. It's yeah. Not even funny. But like, ugh. but yeah, no, the, the actual imagery of them scares the crap out of me. Like that is nightmare fuel. Forcibly projecting your glistening flesh rope. We went two very different different directions with that, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, oozing a black substance. I don't really. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what. <laughs> <Ew>, uh. <laughs> Guys, some decorum, please. Said Megan never. Fuck. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> How dare. Megan's the first one to giggle at a dick joke. You just can't. She's just not the first one you hear. That's true. <laughs> um, uh, is there anything else that you guys want to add about, about these crazy bastards? Have fun. Traumatize your players. I do like the idea that they, um, th- this whole psychic leech off of anybody that's around them is a fantastic, almost aura ability. Um, I wish it had a 10 foot reach. Yeah. Five feet. Um, but five feet's enough. This is just going to hit your um your fighter, paladin, barbarian, the guys that are gonna get up close, uh and uh like your rogues and monks as well, but your spellcasters, the people with the high wisdom are gonna be in the back, right? Your druid, cleric, and ranger. Um here's the, here's so the thing. I just think that it's gonna be more effective. DC 15 seems low, but I think it'll be more effective than you realize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here's the thing, though. It's it's easy for the cleric and the wizard to want to stand in the back, but these guys only come out at night or in the dark, so they can only get 60 feet away before they can't see their target, and that's still within range of the lonely. Mm-hmm. They can't effectively get out of the range of this without not being able to see it to attack it, Yeah, unless they've wrong. got some other tricks up their sleeve, which is possible, but, you know, you could get real fucky with this. Yeah, I, I also, it's a good split-the-party punishment. That if like you this split the party and you only have like one person going off, or you have your rogue that runs ahead, like these are, this is a good punishment for that. I used to do a thing where uh in dungeons there would always be a portcullis that drops and separates the person scouting ahead, and now you have to find ways to meet back up together. Because um, I had this thing, it was a portcullis that dropped and shifted. Uh so so it jammed. There's no amount of lifting could do it, right? Um yeah. my players would often find ways around this. But I love the idea of the rogue or whoever is scouting ahead gets cut off and is on the other side of this portcullis so everyone else can see them. And they are feeling cut off and lonely, even though everyone else is right there looking at them. And this thing comes clicking out of the darkness on hard stones because of the bone. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's, the other, that's the other fun thing is like it clicks towards you. It doesn't stomp. It doesn't shuffle. It sounds like, like a... I'm, I'm just trying to figure. It sounds like someone in like the, the like tap shoes. Right? It's like the tippy taps of like a dog on like a on like tile floor, but mm-hmm. like in a creepy way, <laughs> not in a cute puppy way. <laughs> Adam was trying not to mention the sound of himself and heels at night in the kitchen floor. <laughs> Get your, I'm on the dance floor, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Death drop. <laughs> kitchen dance floor, same thing. Yeah. Um, yes, I think these guys are incredibly incredibly fun. If you wanted to take it up another level, um, this whole calling out from the darkness again could be the voice of someone that they 
know and love. Yeah. You're feeling lost and lonely. And so your mother's calling for yeah, you. Yeah, like the one person that you know is going to make them feel not lonely anymore, right? Now, that, that's a clear warning to players, right? Because there's no reason their mother would be out here. However, having <laughs> uh, uh, an NPC that has helped them in the past, like a warrior NPC that's helped them in the past, or a party member that is that couldn't make it to this session. Yep. Mm. Right? And, and so I you, mean kind of running them as an NPC and then suddenly you hear their voice out in the darkness. And I mean, like, there's no mechanic for mimicry, but these are supposed to be manifestations of despair. So there's no reason why you couldn't do that. This is a manifestation that's these being... Are, these are yeah. literal nightmares come to yeah. life. Oh, yeah. So it doesn't necessarily have to say in the stat block that it does extra creepy shit. Just do it. Um, the other interesting thing is that they've got a dark vision of 60 feet and they've got this harpoon arm that hits at 60 feet. Um, so the moment that they see you, that's it. They're they're coming in for the hit, right? Yeah. And the moment that you see them with your sixty foot, um, sixty feet of dark vision, this thing is going to step into your like like the hazy dim light grayscale vision. It's going to step forward. It's going to sorry. It's going to click forward, hit you with a harpoon arm, and then click backwards. And on the next turn, drag your sorry ass thirty feet towards it into the darkness and the shadow. Everyone else is going to flip. And it is phenomenal. I love it. it Good imagery. Yeah. Um, the next one on the list is The Hungry. This one, I think, is the most straightforward and possibly the least inspired. Um, I find this one problematic to use because I never really have an opportunity. But let's, let's talk about it. These things um, are... They look like... They've got webbed hands that end in claws. They don't have a swim speed, so that's a little strange. But I think it's just weird fleshy body horror shit because they've got, they look like essentially a skeleton with flesh grafted to it, um, but their mouth distends. They are able to like distend their jaw like a snake does to this giant opening maw, but their teeth are just human teeth. They're just like rotted and gross looking. Like its face, I think, is normally a, like a human's face but it just elongates to this open mouth and this huge tongue. And it seems to have spikes down its back. There's an aquatic theme to this for seemingly no reason in the art. Um, Nightmare fuel. Yeah, I think so. I think it's just, it's just weird and different body horror. Yeah. It's a different way to make it look different from the other ones, I guess. But yeah, no, it, it looks like it should be able to swim, but it doesn't. Yeah. Which, if you uh, want to add a point of challenge rating, there you go. Put it in the water. Yeah, Done. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so these guys obviously hunt down people that are hungry. Uh, they want to consume all life and energy they encounter, and they will stuff their faces with flesh, and they will drink in their victims' screams. Uh, when they're done eating, they will lurch away while their bright eyes resume the search for something else to consume. And that's really the first time that we've seen this the idea of these bright eyes, although the art for the lost has it as well. I like these guys having glowing eyes in the dark. Like deep sea fish. Yeah. And I think that I'm just I think I'm gonna lean into this the weird aquatic nature of these. Um, let's get into the stats because look, most of the stuff that we get have bite attacks. I want I want to know what's gonna make this different and interesting. Um, why is this scarier than a knoll? Because all they want to do is eat, right? Armor class 17, which is cool because it's a challenge rating 11. Uh, 225 hit points, that right there is a problem, um, yep. especially at uh, level 11. Speed is 30 feet. They've got some pretty decent strength and con, and everything else is kind of where you expect it to be. 
again, they speak common. They've got the same weird uh, damage resistances, uh, the 60-foot dark vision, passive perception 10. And uh, then they have a trait called life hunger. If a creature the hungry can see regains its hit points, the hungry gains two benefits until the end of its turn. It has advantage on attack rolls, and its bite deals an extra 4d10 necrotic damage on a hit. If your life energy gets better, it becomes more ravenous. They make two attacks, one with a bite and one with its claws. I feel like the hungry should just get two bite attacks. The claws should be a grapple thing, and the bite should be the, the main attack that it's always using. But that's just me. Um, plus eight to hit, 1d8 plus four piercing damage, plus 3d8 necrotic when it bites. So I assume that its mouth is just sucking your... This is a vampire. It's sucking your life force out, right? Um, the claws have a 10-foot reach because they're big and long and scary, um, and they do 4d6 plus 4 slashing damage, which is not nothing. Uh, if you are medium or smaller, there's an escape DC 16 check to not be grappled, and you get restrained until the grapple ends, um, but it can't attack with its claws if it's grappling a creature. Maybe it's not webbed fingers. Maybe it's supposed to be like a net. Uh, yeah, I was thinking plus the ability to like, because what was their movement speed? 30 feet. 30 feet. So it's a regular 30 feet. Okay. So I was going to say it would be interesting if they could just run across like things like difficult terrain faster because they have webbed feet yeah. and hands. Since yeah. it's not just a grapple, but it's grappled and restrained, then yeah, I would think that they're like big catcher's mitt hands that lock your limbs down. Yeah. Cover yeah, your I mouth like, so you can't scream. <laughs> I like that a little bit more. I, I also... I really do want there to be a swallow mechanic for these guys, for small creatures. I want them to do um, more bitey nonsense, right? Mm. I feel like thematically, these guys shouldn't have one big scary bite. They should every round be able to do seven 1d4 bites. Yeah. It, it acts like a swarm of piranhas by itself. You'd have to change the life hunger ability, though, because that would get deadly real fast if you're adding 4d10 to every bite until the end of its next turn. No, 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 no. 1d4, not 4d10. No, I'm looking at the life hunger, which means if you get oh. healed, it adds 4d10 to the bite. So you'd have to alter <laughs> uh, that dramatically yeah. if you gave it more than one bite. Yes, that that that's a fair comment. Um, let's grab dice. How do you guys feel about this? Two. Ah. Sorry, what'd you get? Oh, I got a five. All right, Megan, how do you like the hungry? Um, not as inspired as I was with the other ones. And I think that's because like the wretched had a biting capability as well, and it leeches and it latches and all that kind of stuff already. So I can you almost have that theme already. They've just like reworked it to be a higher CR. Um, which I don't hate, but like it'd be interesting to see these tactics with the wretched and to have like a swarm of them, I think would be a hell of a lot of fun and very, very frightening. But um, again, to your point, like, I feel like it'd be very difficult to find a reason to have these in here because I don't know if you guys have, but like, I don't play in a lot of games where um, resource management is necessarily happens. Like I've never really been in a situation as a character where we've been going hungry. So. Well, the campaign that you've been in, you guys had to manage rations and you got real creative and you found NPCs that, that had stuff and you kind of played every move right when yeah. it came to managing rations. Um, you would kill something and be like, can we, can we harvest the meat out of it? Right. Yeah. You would go looking for plants. Can we eat these? And you guys did do some scavenging and were very successful. Uh, my plan was to have food and rations be a real issue. It, to be honest, when I designed tier one of our homebrew campaign, it was supposed to be 
there was supposed to come a point around level three where you guys had to choose which NPCs are we feeding. <laughs> yeah. um, I hate you. <laughs> yeah, you guys just managed to sidestep that by being very effective at, at what you were doing with your checks, um, which I'm fine with. But that was very much going to bring the hungry out of the woodwork. And you've managed to sidestep that for the most part. That's pretty cool. See, that's a good way to bring it in. That's not necessarily specific to you are a starving team. Like it's like a it's almost like you start making those choices about hunger that would bring it around. Like you're not quite hungry yet, but you're making weird decisions on how to stay not hungry, I think would be something that would bring these out of the woodwork as well. Cause of that mentality and that psychic part, like, it's just like, Oh, they're almost there. They're making these weird decisions. Like it would still come out at that point, not necessarily when the hunger hits. Right. Yeah. No. And you can definitely use NPCs to contrive a situation for this as well. You don't need to necessarily constrain the rations of your player characters. You can have them come across a lost and hungry group of NPCs that need help getting out of this place that have been hunted by the hungry. So Uh, the NPCs are hungry and they're being taken down a few each night. There are a couple ways you could manipulate that. You know, you want a really good trap that your players won't walk away from. They come across a caravan of lost merchants with wagons full of treasure that, but they can't figure out how to get out and they've run out of rations and the hungry are hunting them and the hungry start eating the horses first so you have to figure out how to get all this treasure out of the desert as you're being as the npcs and horses are being killed off one by one by one because your group doesn't have enough rations to feed everyone and there's nothing to find mm, love it yeah, these are definitely, I think, trickier to use. You have to think about it a little more, but yeah, uh, yeah, it doesn't I, have as much built-in flavor. I, I feel like you're relying on um, overall plot more than than yeah. party circumstances when it comes to these guys. They're, they're going to be around for a famine. These guys are going to be the issue at the town when the crops don't come through, and you pass through the town in Tier 2, Right. And then when you pass through the town later in tier three, they're sacrificing people to the harvest god so that they don't have to deal with the hungry again. Right. Um, This is, I have these guys working in tandem with the lost. I feel like the lost are really going to be the the linchpin for a lot of this as well Um, because people get lost and then hungry. Yep. Um, the, uh, The other fun thing that I would always, always, always bring these guys out for is the moment, the fucking moment cannibalism comes up in your campaign. (laughs) That lizard folk player character. It's just just joking about it. Now it's happening. Yeah. I I think that these guys are, uh, they act as almost um, a population control for some small villages. When Mm -hmm. there's too many people for the crops, the hungry shows up. And whittles the population down until people aren't hungry anymore, and then they wander away. I also think you're likely to find these guys on the outskirts of any Knoll warband. Okay. Because Knolls are hunger personified. Because remember, Knolls are created, they're they're not natural beings, they're moderately demonic. Yanagu has has manifested them to get out there on the on the uh material plane and they are eating everything that they can, but the moment that that flesh and food, and it has to be intelligent flesh, the moment that it hits their stomach, it immediately gets transported to Yanagu's stomach, so the gnolls never get to actually feel satiated. So here's another th- hungry. Oh. Here's another thought, too. Not only are they always hungry, but I like the idea that the, the, more, t- the, the more times your group thwarts 
the horde, the more hungry appear in the horde. Yeah. You get first, there's, you know, the party gets away from them the first time. The second time they see the horde, there's one of the hungry. They get away the second time. Now there's three of them. And, you know, the more you frustrate the, the advance of a null horde, the more of the hungry flock to the horde. So these are, are interesting. Mechanically, they're not super interesting. Yep, they, yep. they grapple and they bite. Yep. Thematically, you can build a session or two around these guys and have them, like, revisit if you're exploring kind of bigger themes of, of famine and... Uh, and roving hordes or being lost and having to ration um i'm trying to think yeah besides lizard folk there are a few people that are or a few civilizations that are uh mildly cannibalistic um mm-hmm. i i really enjoy these guys for that flavor but they're not going to come up i i had to build a special scenario for yeah. a, like a full tier of a campaign before i could bring these guys out and it didn't even pop off so of all five of the Soros horn, these are my least favorite. Um, there's definitely a use case, but mm-hmm. I have I have more fun and more opportunities to use the others. Do you want to take us into a uh, social media info whenever you're ready, Jeff? Yeah. <laughs> if you're hungry for more. I mean, pretty much. So clearly you've gotten this far. You've found us somehow. But if you'd like to collect all the methods of contacting and following It's a Mimic like Pokemon, you can find us on Instagram at It's a Mimic. You can find us on Facebook at It's a Mimic. You can find us on Reddit at r slash It's a Mimic. There's a theme here. I don't know what it is. I can't quite put my finger on it. There is an email address, info at It's a Mimic.com. And all of these are good places to drop mailbag questions. Uh, Good places to ask us about dumb things that, you know, just to distract Adam from editing when he doesn't want to, or Brad when Brad, you know, Adam can just send them to Brad while he's editing to irritate him. Um, (laughs) Just bombard us with stuff because, you know, nerds need things to do that are in addition to their hobbies already. We love positive reviews, sharing on social media, word of mouth, whatever it takes to get our mouth sounds into your ear holes. The more ear holes we have our mouth sounds in, the better off we are and the more we can do more fun things. From our lips to your ears. Ew. <laughs> oh, man. Like that was perfect for this episode, though. Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like... <laughs> I feel like this episode could have been like an, like an ASMR kind of episode where we talk the whole time like this. It's really close to the microphone. Just hello, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, anyway. I'm feeling particularly wretched today (laughs) love it um let's uh now now that we've angered everybody listening to this because they had to listen to us like lean in and breathe into the mic uh uh, let's uh let's jump into the angry the angry is the last one this is a cr13 sorosworn uh and they rely on violence to sustain their existence that's right in the text um there are yeah this is just megan again um (laughs) but uh unlike megan like jeff uh the angry has two heads that argue with each other consistently yeah i've gotten over that part of my life (laughs) (laughs) um so uh they they essentially have one head above their shoulders where you think it would be another one growing out of like their their right shoulder according to the to the artwork their arms end in long bone hooks. And other than that, they just seem to be moderately overweight, 
flesh bags of creatures that are wandering around screaming and fighting and arguing. I mean, that's more like me, if anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's the bone hook that concerns me. Anyway, we're going to yep. move on. <laughs> uh, Megan was muted, but that was a great look. So. <laughs> <laughs> um the angry have a built-in mechanic uh and it's right in their uh flavor as well that they rely on other people being angry um and in order to become more powerful this is the thing that your players will not necessarily figure out the first time they fight them but they might figure out later on the angry become less effective if they're not getting hit it's much like uh, barbarians in that way where if they don't take damage and they're not attacking, then they don't, they're not as effective. Um, but we'll get into the mechanic here in a second. But CR 13, armor class is 18, 255 hit points, uh, which is big. Their speed is 30 feet, and they've got a bunch of con and a bunch of strength and some decent wisdom. Um, they've got a perception of plus six. In Monsters of the Multiverse, they have a perception of plus 11. They used to have uh, in Tome of Foes, a perception of plus six. This will affect their passive perception. These guys are more aware of you being around. Um, they have the same dim light or darkness, gives them damage resistances, um, and dark vision is 60 feet, and they do speak common. Uh, they do sit there and babble and argue. Megan, were you a part of the campaign when I was playing with Ettens a whole bunch, or was that before you joined? I think that was right. Before, like That was before I joined, I'm pretty sure. I love having having uh, two heads on the same body like fight and argue with each other, especially when they're stupid. But these guys are just absolutely rage-filled. So I wouldn't play this for fun. I would play this to be aggressive as all shit. Um, I almost, for these guys, feel the need to, um, to write down a script that they're going to, a cyclical script that's just going to make them angry and angrier and angrier as they go. Um, kind of like the who's on first script, but not funny, right? Um, now, they do have two heads, and this is one of their features. This gives them advantage on perception checks uh, and on saving throws against being blinded, charmed, deafened, frightened, stunned, or knocked unconscious. Again, these are great against monks because that is advantage against being stunned. Yeah. They also have a raising, or sorry, a rising anger. If another creature deals damage to it, then its attack rolls have advantage until the end of its next turn. And the first time it hits with the hook attack on its next turn, the attack's target takes an extra uh, 3d12 psychic damage because of just how vicious it is. It's insane. On its turn, the angry has disadvantage on attack rolls if no other creature has dealt damage to it since the end of its last turn. So your players, if they don't get to see you rolling dice if you're doing it behind a DM screen or you're online, they will never understand why it seems to be, you know, in ebbs and, and flows, why there are waves of, of efficiency when it comes to these guys. But I like to roll my dice in front of my table and I will often pick up a die and add it. And I watch Dave and Dan specifically try to do the math about which number is he using and why. Why did this thing get advantage or disadvantage? And I don't necessarily announce it, but it is a good thing to a good little meta clue to get their brains working a little bit. Um, other than that, it gets two hook attacks, plus eight to hit, five foot reach, two D12 plus three piercing, the end. These guys are just r- rage monsters. Yeah. But they're hard to hit. 
And that's the other thing. Their AC is high. I wish their AC was low and they had a mountain of hit points. So they're going to get hit more often. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it. you could do some fun things reskinning this stat block and other stuff. The other thing about it, though, is that we're talking about uh, Tier 3. which yeah. And when you look at the intelligence, wisdom, and charisma, and decks, they're all very low. Like, they're, they're moderate to, to low, which means they're not going to be making a lot of the uh, spell save that they got to make against um, spellcasters who will come out hit. So the AC doesn't matter now. They're going to get hit by fireball because their decks sucks, right? They're going to mm-hmm. get hit by lightning bolt. They're going to get hit by vicious mockery even, right? Like there are enough things that are going to be like, hitting it consistently. The AC is not going to be a major issue, but that means your spellcasters are going to be fueling this thing and it's going to take chunks out of your fighters. But it's also like, it feels like it was built to piss off your fighters. Like, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. It, like, that's what it's built for. And you can see it in the fact that it's resistances and all those things and how it beefs itself up and goes through the cycle of consistent rage over and over and over again. Like, it's it's built to piss off your fighting characters and for your high, strong, tiered, like, spell, spell casters to be able to kill it in a in hopefully one to two shots kind of thing. Otherwise, yes, it will kill your fighters. So it's like that weird tit-for-tat battle. And, like, I don't know. I think it represents anger in a good way. Like, it, it's very well represented in how that mechanic works. But, yeah. Let's uh, let's roll dice. 14. Three. I also got a 14. Jeff, roll off. Four. Two. Jeff, you're first. Then me. Then Megan. <laughs> Going first with a four. Um, how do you feel about these guys? What are, What are your thoughts and inspirations? I think they're i think they fill an interesting niche at that challenge rating of something that just wants to go to toe go toe to toe with melee characters um i think they're kind of boring though i don't know that i would use this in like a set piece encounter more than i would use it just for to throw something fun that wants to fight face to face with the melee guys that might just be me um not difficult to find a way to use it i just don't know how much i care personally i see i see one great use for this um uh, well two great uses for these guys thematically one is when your party is hell-bent on vengeance uh we had a character called the archmage uh in our last campaign megan's frowning creative Um, name well uh (laughs) the thing about the archmage was that he was not an archmage he was a mundane non-spellcaster he was was a man an angry mage he was very arch uh Uh, his whole deal was the fact that as uh, a sidebar, his whole deal was the fact that he found a magic item that gave him infinite yeah, yeah, yeah. attunement slots, and then he just collected magic weapons and he murdered Terry's character in front of the rest <laughs> of the party. And they went, they were hell bent on killing this guy. He was also a bit of a pompous dick, um, and uh, and more powerful than they were. And they spent the majority of the campaign coming after this guy, they were full vengeance mode anytime his name came up. Yeah. Whenever vengeance comes up like that, whenever the party has a real beef with a character, the angry should be around. Also, I love the idea of if you have a party with two barbarians, this guy should be around the corner right about, you know, level 11 or 12, right? Um, But each one of these heads should be one of the barbarians' heads. Okay. What a trip that would be. Yeah. And it comes screaming out of the darkness at them. Um, it just like raging and fighting and arguing, maybe using their catchphrases, right? Like yeah. a, a reflection of their own rage. I have a fun idea for that, but I'll hold on to it until Megan goes. 
<laughs> well, I was going to say it would be very interesting if one of these showed up because in any campaign I've been in, because any character that I've made and that Dan have made, they argue a lot. And like in my mind, it doesn't necessarily have to be like anger, but it could be frustration and it could be like yeah. disappointment. It can be a plethora of different emotions that like funnel into being angry at the end of the day. But like, I feel like I'm giving Adam ideas to throw an angry in between <laughs> Dan and I. Well, you tend to play, how can I put this? You tend to play characters that will get angry easily. Yeah. They like to pop off and get, especially the current one, mm -hmm. right? That's kind of her whole deal, um, which is, which is fun. But like, I think you're right. Anytime there's some sort of negative aggression, no matter what that manifests as in the <laughs> players, you do have an excuse to bring one of these guys out. And I love the idea of if there's two party members that are fighting as a DM, this is how I in world get the players to fucking behave. If the two players are consistently at each other's fucking throats, these guys come out and each one of the heads represents each one of their fucking characters. Yeah. And it's like seeing it manifested in someone else would be like, maybe jog their mind of <laughs> get Particularly along. <laughs> where they're a manifestation, just have them pop into existence right between the two PCs. I feel like I feel like there's a small like like fleshy bubble that starts to grow on the ground mm -hmm. between them and then the bubble grows two lumps on it which then grow mouths that are arguing and then glowing eyes and then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and then it pops and these these two lumps were the heads that were rising up out of it and underneath is this this creature that stands up and is just rageful and attacking. Yeah. So the, the thought the thought that I had had was if you do have a barbarian in the group um, and you're at higher levels to the point where these are a valid target, use them a few times. Use them several times over, you know, a series of sessions over a longer period of time to the point where the barbarian kind of knows what they are and what their deal is. And the group has figured out how to fight with them. And then one night when your group is resting and the barbarian is taking watch, have one of them just walk up to the campfire, sit down next to the barbarian and say, hey, um, big fan of your work. Do you have any advice? Can you give me any tips or tricks on how best to channel my anger? And then starts writing it down in a notebook and then just says, thanks. I'm going to take this back to all my buddies. We have a fan club for you and leaves. <laughs> I love the idea too of of the top head going, "Hey, big fan of your work," and the other one's like, "No, we're not. You could do better." <laughs> and just drop an implication that there's a whole bunch of these manifestations of anger who are literally your barbarians fan club. I love it. I think, I think, it's, a lot of fun. I think it's fun because it it gives it a little bit more character than just being something that's going to fight and be aggressive. Like I think that's a really yeah. good flavorful twist to it. That's oh. really cool. And it would be but good it, because it, if you've fought it a couple times, you're expecting it to come in swinging, and then it just like walks up, sits down. Yeah, because nobody's done damage to it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what's up? <laughs> but I I love the idea uh, as well of the fact that it's not just a fan club; it's a cult. Like these guys would act like warlocks do to their patron because. They are manifested. They are given life because of the barbarian. Yeah. And then eventually you, the group for some reason finds a place in the shadow fell that is a shrine to the barbarian. <laughs> uh, and it, but it's just corpses. Yeah. It's just, they keep finding piles of corpses, corpses. And like, um, uh, like, uh, no, it's the word I'm looking for. Not an effigy, but like, like a, 
not animated flesh golem made out of corpse parts that looks just like <laughs> those things now now i'm gonna say this word and i'm gonna need both of y'all to calm down but those things are literally called fetishes okay yeah that 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 that's what it's like it's not an effigy it's a little fetish it's a little constructed like a like a small totem shrine right yeah mm-hmm. exactly yeah just a really, really big one that's made of body parts that just happens to look just like the barbarian. I can accept. I can accept that without giggling. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah, okay. I, I, I'm thinking. Uh, what what fucking movie was that? Was it 300 where they come across the? There's a bunch of of warriors that come across a village, and the village is empty, and they've been slaughtered. And there's a tree on the edge of the village, and all of the limbs have been like lashed. They've all been ripped off. All the bodies are are around the bottom of the tree. And all the the limbs have been lashed to it, and they're all hanging along all of the branches, um, and like they have made a giant flesh tree. That was the three hundred. You were correct. Was that three hundred? Yeah, yeah. Fuck, I haven't seen that movie since it came out in theaters. That was a deep dive for me. Um, <laughs> um, oh man, now I'm thinking. You leave a moral dilemma with the barbarian, maybe a more good leaning barbarian, <laughs> that eventually you find this shrine to them, and they they learn that. The more you rage and kill, the more they rage and kill in your honor, but they do it indiscriminately. So Mm. you're doing it to save someone or to defend someone or to help your allies. They're just murdering people in your name. And in order for like, you have to juggle with, I have to achieve these goals, which requires me to use my rage. But the more I do this, the more they're just killing people in my name and stacking bodies. And then they go and you murder the entire like cult following, except for one, which is now super fucking strong. Uh-huh. I like the that idea of these fun. things too. Like the, the heads argue about everything until your barbarian's name comes up. And whenever that whenever that happens, they begin to chant it and they they go on their murder spree, right? Um, but there are dozens of these things wandering across the landscape in your wake, chanting your name. So the moment that you start to move backwards, you go back to the village. The village has been, you know, decimated, right? There's a bunch of people that are missing and uh, and they hate you yeah. because these creatures chanting your name. And came tearing and, people apart. Yeah, slaughtered their loved ones, right? And it is, uh, that's a that's a fun after, you know how at the end of a campaign, you've wrapped up, you defeated the big bad evil guy and you need that kind of like last big moment that big hurrah yeah um, just to kind of wrap it up i feel like you could use a swarm of the angry to do that mm-hmm. before we wrap up do you guys have any uh final thoughts about the sorrow swarm i think they're a lot of fun i genuinely enjoy creatures that torment my players to their <laughs> dismay but you know that's just a reflection of who i am i guess emotions emotions um i so i know that it's closely tied to like the Shadowfell, and like they do fit into like thematically certain campaigns but i something that i've loved to explore and we've done it a few times in a couple campaigns that i've played in is using dreamscapes and dreams to predict or throw things at your players before they arise so like adam you're saying you would allude to you might see one during the day it's easy to kill you've now introduced these things exist but they're going to be harder to kill down the line. I feel like these things would exist in your dreams. Um, so if you are like on watch or if you're sleeping and you're playing like more of a, like a, like a sanity, like if you have a sanity, like process system in your game and you're playing that way, 
I would have these appear in your dreams, 100%. And then maybe one day when you have a total party kill and everybody's unconscious and dead, you have to get out of hell by fighting your way through all five emotions. Like that would be a really cool, like one shot process campaign, right? But anyways, I think there's just different ways to use them other than just being specific to the Shadowfell and like being very specific to the dark, sinister games. You can throw them in anywhere in my mind. So that would be a great way to connect it directly back to what we were just talking about as a way to reveal to the barbarian that there is a cult of the angry. Yeah. Dedicated to them. Yeah, it just mentally manifests within you, right? Just you start dreaming about this happening. And then over a period of time of realizing that not only are you dreaming of these angry two-headed creatures that kill in your name then you start coming across the decimated villages where people hate you because your name was used which means the dream was real yeah now you have to go figure out how do i make this stop i love it it's worth pointing out that the shadow fell has doors everywhere and it's in places that you would never expect but they're tucked away corners of and literal shadows um where um people have had strong negative reactions to things in the past and it's created a little bit of a weak point in reality where creatures from the shadowfell can bleed into um the the material plane Mm-hmm. which means these guys may be from the Shadowfell, but they don't have to be tied to the Shadowfell, right? Which is why it's great for Icewind Dale or Avernus or um, Chult, right? Where you, Dungeon of the Mad Mage is another one, where it's like there are these deep, sorrowful places that are tucked away um, where tragedy has happened in the past. Maybe the angry manifests at uh, sites of, um, like we talked about, the hungry manifesting at sites where there where there's famine happening, maybe the angry pops up where there were great battles waged, right on historical um, like battlefields, right, and and they come screaming out of the dark um, every so often. There are ways to just kind of bring forth these ideas uh, into whatever campaign you're using, and that's why they're so good for random encounters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agree. All kinds of fun ways to use them. I also really like the idea of you mentioned dreamscapes, and I was thinking, I you ever had that dream where you're being chased by something, and you're not, you know, it's evil, but you don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. All the time. <laughs> um, it's called my day to day life. <laughs> All day, every day. <laughs> Um, I imagine that your characters would have these dreams as well as they begin to get lost or they're fighting with rations or, you know, the barbarian has been uh, used up all of his rages for the third day in a row. They start to have these dreams and uh, of being chased by a creature. And then you show them the picture on your phone or whatever, right? You bring it up onto the shared screen. If you're playing online of this is the creature that you see in your nightmares chasing you. And you only show the face at first or just the body and not the head or just one aspect, one of the arms, right? Or the mouth of the wretched. And then the next night you show more of the creature and the next night you show more. And then on the fourth day, the creature manifests. Love it. I love so much. So that's all for our discussion on the Sorrow Sworn. Make sure to subscribe or follow to hear other unique inspirations on monsters and other topics of D&D 5th Edition. Next week, you can join Jeff and I as we team up with Kyle to talk about more descriptive words to be using uh, when you are discussing your setting, as well as uh, I think we talk a lot about different kinds of 
senses as well beyond the regular five. Not a bad tie into this one, really. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, as well as a store for some titillating merch. We also rely on word of mouth to get news of the podcast out there to the community. So please pass the word to everyone you know that we're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, requests, and questions for our mailbags can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. Can you think of an example of a time when a strong emotion in you has impacted a decision you've either made as a player or as a DM in your in a session? Do you mean like... <laughs> like oh. you are angry, therefore you do something because you're angry. Not your character is angry, not your NPC is angry. Adam is feeling hungry and this changes the outcome of what's to come in the session. Oh, <laughs> get so, dark real fast. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's roll initiative on this. Well, I determine how much of myself to expose on the internet all of it adam all 13 all right well uh, here we go time to expose myself Um, only mimics (laughs) um the most (laughs) i'm glad he doesn't listen to the podcast anymore because it's like he doesn't play DD anymore but jamie uh was probably one of my most problematic players in the recent iteration of of D for me in fifth edition he, he was he was very passionate and he was very very involved um and he was not a standard like me 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 kind of player but he was he did believe that things had to be done the right way and if they didn't get done the right way he would kind of throw a fucking fit in the last session no the second last session that uh that he ever played because he and his now wife which is weird to think of, Megan. That's fucking odd that they're husband and wife. Anyway, um, the uh, the idea that uh, 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 sorry, totally sidetracked. Yeah, that really fucks me up when people get married and I have to start using different words for them. I can't handle it. Marriage. I can, yeah, <laughs> shit. Um. Anyway, uh, he uh, in the second last session, he was getting really, really annoyed that because we were trying to speed things up so we could wrap it up on a really good note. Um, before they left and we were wrapping up uh storylines and not giving things what he thought were the right amount of uh gravitas i'm like dude there are five other people sitting at the fucking table we gotta go and so in the end he had a big he had four or five big plot lines and i took about the third biggest like i took the middle one and i essentially just threw it right out the fucking window because i was tired of his bullshit um he was really putting his foot down and, and trying to as other people were wrapping up their shit, he was huffing and puffing and crossing his arms and and doing that oh, thing where he throws his head back and oh, over and over. It used to drive me up the fucking wall. And everybody else is getting more and more tense. So it finally got to his turn and uh, like his big final plot line. And I gave him a cut scene and moved right the fuck along. Like, that's it. Here, you technically get what you want, but we're not playing D&D. You can hear me narrate for three minutes because you've been a dick for the last four hours. So not my proudest moment, but not necessarily one I regret either. He did smarten up for the rest of it, and he did get his big payouts after. So <laughs> yeah, fun. I just, I just, uh, I get extra murdery, like, and like, I make bad decisions when I'm in a mood, or if someone's pissed me off. There have been times where Dan's character has pissed 
me off as a person sometimes not like dan's character not dan i will say that but like there there was like a it was the session where his character shot my character's leg off mm-hmm. and like yep. And like, I think it was like the next session after that, I was just like, his character was trying to apologize to mine and like trying to do all these things to make it right. And like me as a person, I was still mad that I was missed. Like it happened the way that it happened, but it was still freaking cool. Like it was like probably the coolest thing that ever happened to my character. And it was like built a whole thing for her in the background. But that was the beginning of the next session where I'm, I'm pretty sure that I did not talk to Dan at the for like the first half of the session because I did I honestly didn't know how to play it out because me in my head was mad about the situation but didn't want to show at the table I was mad at the situation and then me as the character was going through an existential crisis because she's a paladin of light who just killed like killed like killed children so it's kind of like this weird I didn't know how to play it out for Megan and I did not know how to play it out for my character so I actually just didn't do anything for that session after like so but in general i do just get extra murdery and i make bad decisions where i'm just like okay fuck it let's move this along and i kill someone you know like <laughs> i want you to know he was he was really upset like uh, for, for context jeff megan's character was possessed by a ghost and oh, it was running uh, my my next remark was going to be to wonder if anyone's ever kept track of how many times this story has been told on this podcast oh yeah, okay count it. great so yeah so <laughs> What, what I don't think we've ever really talked about is how Dan spent the next two weeks, because we took a little break, but um, we didn't play the next week. He spent the next two weeks in my fucking DMs trying to figure out some fucking way to make it up to Megan. And he was trying to do midweek content. I, I got to build her a leg and it's going to have secret compartments to hold her stuff. And can I imbue it with this? And oh my God, maybe, maybe I can give her like, is there a way that I can give her my familiar? Would that be good enough? Do you think? And he was like upset at like Dan, the person was having anxiety, like uh, full anxiety attacks over the shit for two weeks. And then he showed up and Megan refused to look him in the eye. And it was fucking hilarious. <laughs> Hey man, emotions are real. So yeah, <laughs> on on both sides of that equation, I just at this point imagine Dan as a paper bag filled with anxiety and and hot sour air. <laughs> yeah, moist sour air. <laughs> it's it's humid in there. You just know it's humid. Ew. gross. Answer your own question, Jeff. Yeah. All right. So uh, early on in my time as a DM. Um, I had a player who was a fairly frustrating combination of wanting to be a rules lawyer, but also not having any idea how any of the rules worked. So he would constantly challenge me on stuff that he didn't understand, that he had read once quickly, didn't get any of the specificity, convinced himself it went this way, tried to do it at the table without any discussion or questioning, and it was always wrong. And it We call that a first-time cleric. Oh, it would have been easier if he was a cleric. He was an edgy warlock. Um, Mm. so it just turned into like a simmering pot of rage of me just wanting to slap him and tell him to shut up, like, just listen, read it, like read the book again. But it kind of boiled over when he eventually dropped out of the campaign suddenly the night before a session when I was playing in person and had, we were running like long sessions so that there was a lot of stuff planned that he kind of screwed up for me. So I I was pissed when I showed up to play. I handed his character sheet to a friend of mine um, who was joining the campaign and said, here, I want you to play his character. I want you to pick a fight with the group so they can kill him. And 
<laughs> got my group to unceremoniously murder his character so that he could never come back. Wow. I have I've learned from this. Uh, I don't do that anymore. When people leave my groups now, their characters just fade to nothing and we don't think about them ever again. Why? Because I don't like erasing the possibility for someone to come back with that character. And I just was left with a bad taste in my mouth for what I allowed my own frustration to become. That's fair. When I started playing in 5th edition, I got invited by Jamie, actually. Um, and this is when I met both Terry and uh, and Casey from the Giant series. Um, I, got in, I got invited to a group, and the group was toxic as all fuck. And I think we've mentioned a couple times a lot on the podcast um there were two people that were the hosts that were very very toxic um and we decided as a group in a private chat to to kick them out um we lied to them and just said oh we're all really busy we're not playing anymore and we just played somewhere else they they knew what happened and called us on it and then nobody bothered to respond so fuck it <laughs> however in game uh, we were playing curse of strahd and uh we were uh halfway out uh halfway up mount baratok and uh Strahd showed up out of the blue and fireballed one of the characters. Um, and just that character, he decided not to not to hit anybody else. And so uh he died, it was on death saves, and we all decided to sit back and watch. <laughs> and when it was done, Jamie's barbarian wandered over and put out the fire with his stream of urine. So, like wow. See, the problem yeah. I had was I was the one that was annoyed with this player's behavior he was a friend to other people at the table but not a personal friend of mine yeah. and then when my campaign ended and the the same friend i had given the character sheet of his to kill became the dm for the next evolution of that play group mm. that player jumped right back in when someone else was dming and i wasn't so like it was all it was me and him it wasn't the whole group it was the two of us not getting along very well because i refused i would always put my foot down and he would always come up with some shit that made absolutely no sense. And I would tell him no, and it would make him mad. No, it's not this. It's this. I understand that's what you read, but you're wrong. And it Look, just made him so mad that he quit. We have all grown as, uh, as players over yeah. time, but there are still times where emotionally, and a lot of the times for me, it's like, hurry up. We have shit to do. Stop dicking about at the table. The Dave yeah. Dan combo at a table is always chaos um they will derail themselves and they don't sit beside each other so they derail themselves and everyone between them um which is a fucking problem yeah um, and uh and right now i have i more than once i've been like oh guys we've been doing the same thing for four sessions now because you guys keep getting into arguments about who has the longer rope let's fucking pay attention. Like, can we please just stay on topic? Um, and then I turned to Megan, who is now bored and has decided to just murder the important NPC or knock a bell out of a bell tower, even though that was a really bad idea. Came back full circle. Yeah. When Megan gets bored, she kills. <laughs> yeah. So who has the longer rope as a metaphor, right? Clearly. And and the damn problem is neither of them have rope. <laughs> Sorry, I, I've been breached by my cat. Just give me a sec. <laughs> Do I say hi? That is a big cat. <laughs> He's not small. <laughs> Hello, Ernie. This is uh, Mo Mowgli. Oh, that's Mo. Mo I didn't know yeah. you had two cats now. I did for a while. I was just uh, housing my sister's cat for a little while while we were recording. And that, that Ernie's the loud one. He screams and yells. This one's quiet. He just bothers you.
So, but yeah, I now only have the one. You don't have Ernie anymore? I don't have Ernie anymore. I had to give Ernie back. So, Boo. yeah, sad pandas. But yeah, anyways, back on to death eating monsters. <laughs> <laughs> that was your cuteness break. <laughs> Jeff, can I talk to you for a half a second what? afterwards? Um, <laughs> I, I've got I've got an idea that I wanted to, to run by. I'm terrified. Oh, well, they're um, rich and they're going to start popping up. <laughs> yeah, well, of course, I, that's fine. Sure. I, I'm going to go be a human. But yeah, Adam, we'll see you later. Yep. Take her easy. Nice to see you, Jeff. Bye. Likewise, you're still recording. Good. Okay. So now that Megan is gone, Jeff, I want to tell you what's <laughs> happening in my campaign right now. All right. Um, by the time these episodes release, they will be past this this beat. Are you familiar with the False Hydra? Yes, I, uh, I, I am. They are currently in a town with the False Hydra. They've been there for 180 days and don't know it. Uh, they think they've been there for three because their memories keep getting rewritten over and over and over again. The way okay. that the False Hydra works for anybody listening is it is a horrifying creature uh that lives underground it's got multiple heads that are singing all the time and as long as you can hear the song um you uh, and everyone in this small town or village hears the song uh you don't know that the false hydra exists additionally on top of that it comes out of the woodwork to eat people and when it does um because you can't remember that the false hydra exists uh you can no longer remember that the person exists and it slowly starts to rewrite people's memories and they just feel sad and lost and and upset because there's this gaping hole in their life but they don't know what it is so um i this is a homebrew thing that's appeared on the internet and it's been around for, i think for a couple of editions yeah uh, it's uh one of the more popular ones it's a lot of fun and i know for a fact that dan and dave do not know this thing exists <laughs> which is phenomenal so yep. they have walked into what i was doing I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to devote an episode to this whole thing in the future, but I wanted to bring up the False Hydra because the False Hydra has essentially decimated a fucking town and they, I dropped them in. They started a, a series or a, a session after taking a little bit of a break and ending on a cliffhanger of like, oh God, we're about to walk into this room and fight. What are we going to do? And then all of a sudden they were without their gear, without their NPCs and just walking down a road towards a town. They didn't know why. Okay. And they had they had to walk in and the whole the whole deal is they have been dealing with this false hydra they have been seeing it but they keep forgetting it and i have been tormenting them with little glimpses of it that only one of them sees and then immediately forgets they have only been able to attack it once and they did seven points of damage before <laughs> it it disappeared and two other heads started singing and that was it i gave them a fucking church bell uh in the middle of a t of town that would ring there was an obsessive deaf person that was ringing the bell all the time because the deaf person was the only one that could see these creatures and um and knew that they would retreat every time the bell was rung so he was ringing the bell all the time driving the rest of the town absolutely crazy so they went up and they destroyed the bell which means there's no defense now and the deaf guy <laughs> panicked and left town so there's no one to help and so they have been there for four sessions and here's the thing there's no there's no trade happening everyone thinks it's the same day and it's been going on for about eight months and um they walked in and they, they saw there was a minotaur and uh and a human woman uh that ran a bar together and human woman had a bunch of, of children she was a widow had a bunch of children and the minotaur is kind of looking over them all of the kids are under the age of six and they were like 
there were seven kids, couple sets of twins and whatnot. The next time they walked in, there were six kids and everyone was sad. Next time they walked in, there were four kids. <laughs> everyone was sad. And like, and I'm doing that in every building, in every room. Yeah. But they have run across and, and they were told this is a safe realm, a safe city where there are no monsters. They've all been driven out. And then they caught uh, a, a look at a couple of wretched running around at dawn. So they went and they hunted down uh, two of these wretched that like from their um, room at the inn, which they walked in town the first time. They're like, hey, we're looking for a room here. Like, we don't have any rooms. Uh, and they're like, you don't have any rooms? Like, no, we've got these four that are that are listed out. And the fourth one that they that they listed was one of the characters' names because they'd already rented the room. Yep. And it's written on the page. And the page doesn't change, but everyone's memory has changed, right? So, yep. so this has fucked with them severely at this point. The players and now know way more than the characters do, but still haven't figured it out. They don't know what this false hydra is, and they've started to run into these sorrows sworn because they found a whole bunch of wretched sleeping during the day. If they, they had uh, burst through a hole into a basement, and there were forty wretched sorrows sworn sleeping, <laughs> and so they backed away. But they did it right at dawn when there were still a couple that were that were trying to come back out. So. <laughs> They had to fight these wretched like 30 feet from this hole. So they're trying to fight as quietly as possible as they're getting like chewed on. And so Dave's character was the barbarian who nearly dropped, but they couldn't cast spells because there are verbal components and you can't stealth that unless you're a sorcerer, right? And they're 30 feet from me. Like it was a shit show. Absolutely beautiful. They've also run into the loss now because there was one boy uh, whose parents have been eaten. Yep. And he has no memory of him, which means he doesn't know where his home is. And he was walking around town uh, and and uh, got up into a loft in some stables uh, by himself. And then the lost showed up and killed the kid. And they came across the corpse and two lost. They're about to run into a bunch of lonely because they're a bunch of now lonely people. Yeah. They, there were uh, there was a <laughs> pair of dwarf nobles uh, who they saw. They have seen for all of the sessions up until this point. That are they're very much in love and they're always walking their pet badger. The last time they were carrying a rope and they didn't know why, and there is no badger anymore, and they're kind of sad. And today they will be running into the one dwarf woman who is very upset and is being stalked by the lonely. Oh. They are going to run into sorrow sworn over and over and over because the false hydra <laughs> breeds that shit, and they're very much all thematically very the same. A lot of the artwork. Oh, yeah. He was like, they, that could be a sorrow sworn. Yep. So I am so fucking excited. I probably have oh, two, yeah, that's... two more sessions of this, but I had to tell somebody. <laughs> that fucking stuff. Now that's today. Yeah, that's today and probably next <laughs> weekend as well. So, so Meg, Megan is like, oh my God, all this. We were supposed to record this like, like three weeks ago. Yeah. Now this is me playing fucking 4D chess with my players because Megan now has recorded this. And we'll see one of the lonely today and yep. probably a couple of the wretched and realize, oh, fuck, this, whatever this is happening in this town <laughs> is generating these sorrow swarms. So we can't leave or everyone will die. Right. Yay. Because <laughs> the big debate right now is should we just leave town? Yep. And she wasn't there for that ses session. So she's going to come in oh, and be like, man. no, we got to stay. I am so fucking stoked. There's just something so gratifying when you hit certain beats in a campaign as a DM where you can manipulate the characters and the players separately to an end that you're working towards. Yeah. But you can you can actually take 
your players' minds and push their characters in a direction by pushing the player. Oh man, I love it. Yeah. So yeah. So I just needed to share that and I gonna put this on the internet so that I'm gonna point Megan to it when we release this in a couple of weeks. She's gonna be screaming. Okay. I will probably be able to hear the screams of rage from here in Pennsylvania, <laughs> three thousand miles away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Anyways, I do have to run because I got to prep that session now. Yeah, yeah I got to actually go food shopping now. So fun this stuff. This is a good episode. Thank you. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> All right, I'll uh, I'll talk to you later. All right, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye.